When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Series 3 of Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and my Ask Annalisa column appears in The Guardian every Saturday. Each week, I'm lucky enough to speak to some amazingly insightful, top-of-their-field specialists, and this podcast gives me the opportunity to speak to them in much more detail on subjects that come up all the time. I self-fund this project, and I'd love to continue to do more, so if you'd like to support us and also listen to this podcast series free of ads, do join us over on Patreon, where you can also get the podcasts before they go on general release go to patreon.com forward slash Annalisa Barbieri. Otherwise, you can leave a one-off donation on ACAST Supporter. You can find the link for that in the description of this episode. Or just please listen and share as much as you can. It would also mean a lot to us if you left a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This week's episode is about boundaries, and it was a listener-requested topic. I won't shout out anyone's name in case that crosses a boundary. Boundaries, the lines we don't like being crossed, are important components, the very foundations in fact, for all healthy relationships. Be they parental, familial, work, romantic, even time boundaries. Here I speak to BACP and EMDR accredited psychotherapist Armel Philpotts, who specialises in healthy relationships and the effects of trauma. It was whilst interviewing Armel one day that she said something that really made me think about how we might know if a boundary has been crossed. And I realised that sometimes, after speaking to someone, if I feel angry, it wasn't so much as me having done something wrong, rather they'd crossed a boundary. In this episode, we talk about what boundaries are, why they're important, how to set them, when they should be flexible or fixed, and how to deal with a transgression of a boundary. I hope you enjoy it. Armel, hello and welcome. Hello. A lot of the times when I speak to my specialists for my column, I always learn something, but occasionally I get a real light bulb moment. And earlier this year, you and I worked on a problem together and you said something which really got me thinking. You said that anger tells us that a boundary has been crossed. It's just a case of working out which one. And I really found this helpful because now whenever I get angry, I think what boundary has been crossed. But is that always the case? Is anger always about a boundary being broken? 
For me, personally, and other people might have different kind of opinions on this, but anger is a really good clue that something is wrong. Something is being transgressed. So I always think of a boundary as, you know, I mean, language is great, isn't it? A boundary like a little picket fence kind of thing. Mm. And a boundary can be a big brick wall or it could be a little picket fence, you know, with gaps in it. But if you think about, you know, when we sort of build a wall, it doesn't move, does it? But with our boundaries, they have to move. So we're sort of trying to work them out in real time. It's dynamic, isn't it? So we need this clue to tell us whether the picket fence or the wall is in the right place. And that is anger. And I mean, anger gets a bad press. So what I don't mean is, you know, absolute out of control rage. But if we think about emotions as sort of on a sliding scale as well, so anger could be on a sliding scale of, you know, mildly irritated. I don't know. I'm sure you've had this experience, maybe less so with COVID, but, you know, you're sitting on a train and someone's talking really loudly on their phone next to you. That might be Mm -hmm. sort of more irritation than, than absolute rage. But that's a clue that that boundary, that kind of space boundary or that sound boundary is being transgressed. So from sort of mild irritation, right all the way across, right up to, you know, absolute incandescent rage. And what might we ask ourselves when we feel those things? Well, first of all, it's really important to kind of let ourselves feel it. I think what I hear a lot in my work is, oh, I don't get angry. And and often what happens in families as well, if we think about families of origin, there are certain emotions that are not allowed. Mm-hmm. And anger is the one that in my work, that's the one most commonly, oh, no, you know, you weren't allowed to get angry or, you know, only one person in the family was allowed to get angry. So first of all, allowing yourself, you know, to feel an emotion that's just as valid as any other emotion. I think when people say or think anger is a bad thing, I think what they mean is aggression. Of course, aggression's a bad thing. Anger itself, you know, is just an emotion. All it is, is it's a signal about what's happening to us in the outside world. And then we have a choice about what to do with it. So really getting familiar with, you know, in my body, where do I feel anger? Is it my head? Do my cheeks get red? Or is it really in my gut? You know, where is it? So that we can become really familiar with it and actually make friends with it. How do you make friends with anger? The concept is a wonderful one that I first found out about through Buddhism. So the idea that, you know, all our emotions are valid and actually just having an awareness that emotions in themselves don't have any sort of inherent value. You know, they're not good or bad in themselves is what I mean. And that just by having an awareness. So there's someone called Tara Brack, who is a psychotherapist and also a Buddhist teacher. And she talks about this idea of just stopping and just sitting in awareness, you know, rather than jumping into doing the next thing, you know, running away, punching the person on the nose, you know, that's talking on the phone in the train, just sitting with it. Where is it? Where is it in my body? How strong is it? Maybe what messages does it have for me? You know, when have I felt this way before? What beliefs am I having right now about this person or what they're doing? So noticing, you know, what's happening, actually this signal, this anger, this emotion, what is it actually trying to tell me? So rather than reacting, you know, doing something without thinking, just sitting and just allowing it. I suppose that's quite hard, though, because anger is a hot emotion and 
So, I mean, I, I quite often in the moment can't think of anything because obviously it goes to my reptilian brain and I just go into fight flight <laughs> scream mode. But it's quite useful afterwards if you can't do it in the moment, isn't it? To just think, okay, what did that tell me? Because although sometimes anger is about the person in front of us, it's not always. And I, I often think to myself, if I'm having maybe an irrational response, I mean, you gave the example of someone on the train. Okay, that's irritating. But if it really makes you mad it kind of, I think, goes beyond the person. It could be because you feel that, I don't know, people don't see you or don't notice you or you don't matter. I found that when I think about those things, I actually get to some quite interesting feelings. But personally, I can only do them afterwards, not in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more we do it, it's an acquired skill and, and yeah. something that we can train ourselves to do. And sometimes we do end up kind of, you know, coming out of a situation thinking, Oh, I didn't handle that very well. And like you said, Anne-Lisa, that's a really good opportunity, isn't it? To just kind of sit and go, right, okay, you know, what really was going on then? Was I a bit more tired than I usually am? Maybe, you know, the guy talking on the phone, maybe there were some meanings there about it's not fair or he's taking up too much space or, you know, that's my stuff, isn't it? So just reflecting on that means that the next time we're in a similar situation, maybe we can have a little bit more insight and rather than reacting, be acting. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier that anger is an emotion. And I remember you saying to me, but aggression is something we do in anger. And quite often when people write to me and they need to put down boundaries, they're very scared of being assertive because they mistake assertiveness with aggression. And the two are different, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. With every emotion, it's meant to kind of spur us to make a movement but that we have a choice over what movement to make. So aggression is one, you know, that might be an automatic response. Maybe we were taught to just hit out, you know, when, when we were kids. But that actually, if you think about it, if we just pause for a moment when we can, we actually have infinite choices about what to do, you know, what motion to take. And another one, which is really common, actually, is not aggression, it's retreat, isn't it? It's kind of, oh, oh, this happened to me loads. I'm really weak. The only thing I can do is just retreat. And of course, that's not healthy either. So healthy assertiveness might be just to be able to say something like, you know what, when you said that, that's not okay with me. I'd prefer it if you didn't say that kind of thing again. And of course, it's difficult because like I said, it's dynamic, isn't it? We're trying to kind of make up the words. But what I always say to people when we're working on assertiveness is make yourself a little crib sheet of sort of stock phrases, you know, stock assertive phrases. Like I just said, you know, that's not OK with me. I prefer mm. if you didn't do that again. Maybe using an I statement rather than you're a terrible person. I can't believe you're talking on the phone so loudly. Something like I'm trying to sleep right now. I'd prefer it if you just lowered the volume. So taking responsibility for ourselves using our I statements, because if we start sort of using you statements, sort of attacking, I guess that's aggressive in, you know, it's verbally aggressive, isn't it? Even if we're not wagging our finger or pulling our fist back. But if we use an I statement, we're taking responsibility for our part in this, mm. our boundary. The person can choose not to make the change, but that doesn't mean anything about us, does it? No, I mean, one of the things I've learned is that if you have to say something to someone, their response is their responsibility. 
I find that quite often I'm constantly thinking about what they might say and actually to take your phrase of, you know, I found that when you did that, I didn't like it and stop there and see and then bat it over to them. I've had some really interesting responses. I've tried not to preempt what they want to say. But most importantly, I don't take responsibility for what my perfectly reasonable request might elicit in them. And that's been quite eye opening for me. You'd mentioned earlier about emotions and we have a choice about how we react, but sometimes those choices feel quite narrow. What is happening there when we feel we've only got one response, i.e. aggression, and we can't see any other choice? Well, maybe there are two possibilities there. Either that the other party, you know, and the other party might be an organisation or it might be a person, is not working with us on our boundary. You know, they're not taking responsibility for making the adjustments that we're requesting so that's one possibility so that's happening you know in real time in in the present and the other possibility is that maybe we have some learnt kind of beliefs about the only options we've got so in a family where making a fight out of everything is just the norm then a person might have only had a chance to learn one way of doing things or the opposite. You know, a family often when people sort of talk to me about their, their families they grew up in, oh, we never argued. So there's a ban on being assertive or disagreeing. So if a person has beliefs like that, then they're kind of ha- narrowing their choices or they've had those choices narrowed for them. So how can they widen their focus? It's going back to what you said before, isn't it, about sometimes we don't manage something particularly kind of skillfully in the moment but afterwards we have a chance to go back to it and have a look so we might notice that oh there's just something that keeps happening over and over again you know maybe with a boss or with a colleague what's happening here why do I keep showing up in this way so just kind of rewinding and maybe if it's in a work situation maybe thinking about oh well so I've got this manager for example and he manages 15 people and this person seems to manage it in a better way than me what are they doing differently that I'm not that idea of stepping back and sort of analyzing the situation you know what what's not working but also what is working Mm. Perhaps an obvious question, but what what are boundaries? <laughs> well, that's a really good one because I think, you know, before I was a therapist, I kind of heard this word being bandied around, very Californian, boundaries. Yeah, I don't remember what we used to use before. I feel like it's only in the last 10 years we use this word. But anyway, what are they? I'm a very visual thinker. So apologies for to people who No, me aren't. too. <laughs> But, you know, boundaries means a wall. It means a fence. It essentially means the kind of the meeting point in between two people or, like I said, you know, between an organization and a person. So it's that idea that a boundary can be an absolute brick wall. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just going to lock myself in my house. That's a the big brick wall, isn't it? Or the picket fence is kind of, well, you know, some people are invited in, some people aren't. So the other thing about boundaries that I think is quite important as well is that they also have different realms. So I talked before about the person on the train, that would be like a sort of sound boundary, wouldn't it? Or a space boundary. Mm. So we have loads of different kinds of boundaries. We have emotional boundaries. We might have noise boundaries. We're telling the kids to bloody be quiet. I can't hear myself think. Financial boundaries. We work 
for companies and we have a contract. I guess a work contract is a very good example of a boundary where everything's written down. You know, we'll pay you this much. These are your hours of working, that kind of thing. And between two people as well, we might have financial boundaries. So, you know, this is the way that we manage our money and we have agreements about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And we need to revisit those at different times as well. Psychological boundaries. Some people have really clear boundaries about language. So for some people, swearing is just a no-no. Whereas for other people, you know, it's fine and it doesn't feel aggressive and it's just part of the way that I speak. So there are so many sort of different kinds of boundaries, sexual boundaries, of course, consent. And and I love the idea in the sort of BDSM community where actually the boundaries are so well defined and so discussed in advance, which is rather wonderful. And, and it would be great if, you know, in every sexual relationship that was done so rigorously and consciously. And physical boundaries, I mean, you'll have had the experience where someone's just stood that little bit too close. Yeah. Time, of course. Time's a funny one, isn't it? Time boundaries. So some people have really clear kind of ideas about, you know, when you say you'll be there at three o'clock. I remember I had a friend at school, you know, if she said three o'clock, she meant about half three. Oh, I'm, yeah, I don't like that. (laughs) If I say, as I think you know, if I'm going to ring someone at 1500 hours, I like to use military times, I ring at 1500 hours because I can't bear the thought of someone just waiting and me sort of impinging on someone's time in that way. So I suppose it's a bit like a rule book of things that you're prepared to put up with and how far people can go. I guess that's a boundary. Yeah. Why are they important though? I think they're important because when we're in relationship with somebody, we need to be able to understand each other and and understand those boundaries. Otherwise, people end up getting upset. So for example, me and my friend, you know, when I finally realised, well, she'll probably turn up about half three, I I started turning up at half three. Mm. Otherwise, I was standing there getting really irritated, feeling like, you know, or believing she was not valuing me. She wasn't a true friend. And then when she arrived, you know, I might be a little bit short with her. And you were talking about those beliefs. You said, you know, well, I'll ring at 1500 hours because and you said that the the beliefs are about not impinging on people's time. Mm. So I guess it's about a shared understanding, isn't it? And then it's about the feelings that can come from different understandings. Yeah. But so you altered your time. Did you not say to your friend, I get upset when I have to wait half an hour? Why can't you turn up on time? Ah, well, this is when I was at school and I had terrible boundaries. Yeah. Didn't we all, Armel? No. (laughs) They're important also because it's about how we like to be treated. But who gets to set the boundaries? Well, in an ideal world, we're constantly negotiating. Because if you think about it, you know, well, at the moment, I don't know whether you can hear, but I've got a cold. When somebody's feeling a bit rotten, you know, the boundary might change, mightn't it? You know, the other person might say, you know, you, I'll make you a lem sip. I'll go and do the washing up and, you know, clear up a bit. But if that happened the whole time, that wouldn't be good. And making time for that is so important. And often I think, you know, couples are so busy, especially when we have kids. There's probably two jobs. There's kids. There's maybe different schools going on. There's the last minute. I have to have a fancy dress outfit for World Book Day for tomorrow morning. (laughs) All those things that take up our time. And it's really hard to find the time to sort of talk about, well, where are these boundaries? What needs to be done? So often we go into autopilot. That's the phrase, isn't it? Yeah. 
And often autopilot is informed not by our current relationship, but it's informed by what we saw and experienced growing up. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of that is probably pre-verbal. It's stuff that parents probably never sat down with and said, you know, this is the way that we run our family and we run our couple. It's all just kind of absorbed. So what happens often is with a couple, everything can be great. But then when we hit that a period of stress, so it could be something like, you know, having a first baby, big move, first big job. Sometimes it could be retirement. If we, we haven't got into the habit of being able to sort of negotiate that, then people just go into that autopilot phase and things can really diverge then. People can end up feeling like everything has to be negotiated rather than just negotiating it kind of on a on a case-by-case basis. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Some of the things when I write about boundaries and almost every letter I get in some shape or form comes down to them. It's about setting them and sticking to them. But you talk about them being flexible. So when would they be fixed and when would they be flexible? Let's say if it's a big financial thing, who pays how much of the mortgage, then that's going to be pretty fixed, isn't it? You're not going to change that every week. You're going to have a big discussion about, right, okay, you know, for the next year, how are we going to do this? And then that would be pretty fixed. But then there might be things about who does the washing or who picks the kids up. All that stuff has to be negotiated in in real time. Just sort of staying in touch, staying in awareness of that, I guess. You know, how are things changing? Let's keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. And of course, often for a couple, the only time when they get the chance to do that is kids are in bed, end of the day, we're exhausted. Mm. And it could quickly turn into a row. Oh, yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm getting a clear idea because there are some boundaries, like if you have one example, just you do this shopping on this day, say, and then you can't. The thing is then to say, look, I know I'm supposed to be doing it, but actually I can't. So that's communicating and that wouldn't make somebody angry, hopefully. But if you just expect them to mind read or just don't do something important, then that's quite disrespectful. And I'm guessing that's when the other person could get quite angry. I mean, I've instigated Sunday meetings (laughs) and where we talk about the week ahead, what's expected of everyone, not to a sort of granular level, but just to say, you know, If I'm recording a podcast, say, and it's the holidays, I'll say, you know, I'm recording this podcast at 11 and I need the house to be quiet. And so it doesn't mean that everyone remembers or anyone remembers, (laughs) but at least I've tried to set that boundary. But yeah, I mean, I suppose a lot of the time it goes back to assertiveness. And if you're not, if you don't feel you can assert it, then you're not going to communicate that boundary, are you? No, absolutely. I guess that with your example, you're talking about the supermarket, you know, can't go to the supermarket. Somebody who's really unassertive just wouldn't do the shop, would they? And just wait for the poo to hit the fan, wouldn't they? Which it's going to because there's, you know, there's no milk or whatever it is. And the other person's going to feel kind of pretty shut out. But Sunday meetings, fantastic. If only everybody had Sunday meetings. Oh, my family thinks I'm mad, but it's just, (laughs) you know, it's my military background. I can't help myself. Two sort of scenarios I get a lot are boundaries around children. Things like screen time comes up all the time. So I want to talk about that in a minute because I think boundaries with children, are they different? I don't know. I'm working on one particular thing at the moment where there's a, a family that's just had a young baby and one of the grandparents is being really a bit sort of OTT sort of involving themselves a bit much and that looks like obviously they've never had this discussion because the baby's just come along and they don't know how everyone's going to react but so let's talk about the children one first I mean if your children are doing something you don't really like or you don't think is good for them how would you go about setting a boundary with them? Well, I guess with kids, we're ultimately responsible, aren't we? So we have to have that back up. But middle ground is explaining to them and encouraging them to set their own boundaries. Because I guess ultimately our job as parents is to kind of send them off into the world, you know, equipped to do it themselves, isn't it? So if we just say, right, screen time is, you know, an hour and they're still doing that when they're aged 18, then probably when they leave home, they're just going to splurge, aren't they, on the screen time and that's not going to go very well. So encouraging a discussion, how long do you think is too long? Have you noticed any differences, you know, when you're on the screen? What other things would you like to do? But ultimately, knowing that we're the adults 
we make the decisions, we may well have to sort of set a boundary there for our kids that they are really not going to like. But I guess that's the difficult thing about parenting, isn't it? And then, of course, when kids hit teenagehood, they're hitting that transition that I, I mean, I found really difficult when my daughter was was really little. It was great. I could set all the boundaries around her, make sure she was safe and happy and everything. And then now she's going through this transition period where I'm encouraging her to sort of set her own boundaries and explore them and keep herself safe at the same time. And it's terrifying for me as a parent because I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my God, I've got to let go of this. And I don't think I appreciated that when she was younger. I knew there'd be this period when she'd be sort of going through this this stage in her life. But I didn't realise actually as a parent how transformational it would need to be. It's that fine line. Because children like boundaries. We just need to sort of young children like boundaries, don't they? Makes them feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. And teenagers do. Yeah, I think they do. But then, but then it gets a bit more tricky, as you said, because that fine line, because they're trying to fledge. They want the autonomy, they like it, but then they come back. And I think that can be really hard because you need, I think the, the boundaries need to be a bit more elastic then. Yeah. And also, I think probably the difference between a toddler and a teenager is we're being more overt or we're communicating more, you know, why we're putting the boundary in. You don't have to explain to a toddler, you know, I'm not letting you have this 15th chocolate bar because, mm. you know, da 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 da. Because mummy wants it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But with a teenager, we're, we're sort of, yeah, we're having to sort of take them through the steps at the same time as doing it, which takes longer. It does. And I mean, I, I can't stress enough. It's really hard. And that's why it's important not to do it in the moment. But if you can preempt these and actually have a discussion, it's so much more effective if you all kind of agree to it. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of do have to stick to them to a certain extent, because otherwise they're meaningless, aren't they? If you say you can only I'm going to go with the screen example again, you can only have an hour and then you just say, oh, it doesn't matter, then they're not really going to listen to you. And I think parents can find that very difficult because sometimes it suits them for their children to be on the screen. Boundaries need to be sort of set and realistic and kept to as far as possible, especially where children are concerned. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because then as they go through sort of teenagehood, maybe one of the things they are learning is that flexibility of boundaries, isn't it? You know, little kid knows that it's an hour screen time or whatever we decide. And we can be more kind of strict about that. And actually, their memories are such that they probably will forget if we let them have two hours when we have to do something important. But the teenagers are learning more about the kind of concepts, aren't they? So about needing to be flexible and why and how we apply that and how we kind of problem solve with that. If we talk about sort of more adults together, so say you have like an in-law or a parent who's sort of over-involving themselves in your life. If it's your own parent, then that can come with a whole host of other emotions because they're your parent. How would you go about setting a boundary with a member of the family that's crossing a boundary? <laughs> yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? And and again, kind of talking about, you know, these big life events where sometimes people go into their default modes without really working out why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So you talked about that example where maybe a parent wants to get a bit too involved with a new baby. Is it because they didn't have that? Is it because they did have that and that's really normal for them? I guess I would be, first of all, just 
seeing if I can start a conversation about why a little bit of kind of gentle exploration about oh you know what what happened when I was born did you have granny or did granny come and do this for you so finding out a little bit more about that and that sort of lays the ground maybe for a bit more of a sort of two-way conversation Mm -hmm. rather than do not pass my boundary which can sometimes if it's a family member leave them feeling a little bit misunderstood So I'd say, yeah, a little bit of kind of gentle probing and finding out why, first of all. If we're talking about the example where it's a baby and there are two parents to this baby who will be coming from two different family situations, a bit of a chat there. Actually, what is our boundary here? What did we experience or what were you expecting? There might be the past stuff that comes into that, but there might also be the present stuff one person might be on maternity leave the other person might not be so that when we're communicating maybe with that person who's transgressing that boundary we're presenting a united front because that can sometimes be a bit tricky when we, we haven't had that talk in advance to work out well what's our approach to this what's okay and what's not okay and maybe suggesting an alternative it's a bit much when you come knock on the door at eight o'clock every morning, how about we carve out a Wednesday for you? And that can be granny day. Mm. What about if granny doesn't listen or granddad? Because I don't want to put it all on the granny. Yes, fair enough. (laughs) Absolutely fair enough. I think that's a really important point, isn't it, about boundaries, that it takes two sides. And when people are not respecting our boundaries, then that signal is First of all, we're going to have to strengthen them. We're going to have to repeat ourselves. And ultimately, we might have to make some difficult decisions by distancing ourselves from that person, which is can be really awful, you know, really painful to do. Yeah, and I suppose if you've tried everything else, I think if I were in that situation, I'd be thinking, am I right to be upset about this? Because I tend to reason away my emotions, not so much now that I'm a grown up, but I did. And I think if someone's listened to this, I might think, well, what does it matter if, you know, X comes around and wants to see the baby a lot? You know, what about they're always there when I need them? Because there's usually a tether, isn't there? Something that makes you think, yes, but... Just because you're annoyed about something, is that enough to set a boundary? That's where the stepping back and the considering comes, doesn't it? So we can kind of consider and say, look, is the being able to rely on this person for some childcare, is that enough for me to sit on the irritation? If a person's willing to hear us, sometimes it's enough just to say something like, when you turned up at eight in the morning and I wasn't dressed, it just felt a bit much. Sometimes even that, even if the person keeps behaving in the same way, expressing that to the other person can help, might not change their behaviour, but it can help us to put it there, put it out there and make that kind of overt for the other person. So that can be helpful. I think I'm not sure sitting on things is ever a particularly good idea. If we, if we push things down. But didn't we say earlier sitting on things was a good thing? Do you mean sitting on things in terms of... Uh, I was saying sitting with. <laughs> oh, sitting with, sitting this is on. M- Sorry, subtle but very important difference because you you want to sit with your friends but not on them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. This is therapy speak, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So when I say sitting on, I guess I mean sort of pushing down, you know, ignoring. That's very clear now. So, and another thing I have, and I have no personal experience of this, wry smile, is family members who kind of constantly take a swipe at you, but it's really subtle. I get a lot of letters about this, especially at Christmas. 
And so you're annoyed and you're annoyed even before you see them. But it actually feels really difficult in that moment to say something because it's Christmas or a birthday. How would you go about handling that? Well, what I would say is anger is actually a secondary emotion. So there's usually an emotion underneath it. And in that example that you're giving, I'm guessing a swipe, it's probably going to be pain, isn't it? It's going to be hurt. So a really nice, elegant way to address it is just go ow so like Mm -hmm. you said you know you said before actually you found a really helpful way to address things is just kind of owning your side and then leaving a Mm. pause so ow you know that hurt and then just leave it to the other person you know there's there's lots of things they can do with that isn't there Mm. they can apologize they can run away they can double down on it and what about if they just ignore it and do it again I guess. At what point are you allowed to hit them? (laughs) (laughs) Depends how old you are. I don't mean that. And whether they're bigger than you. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, but what about if they do it again and they just don't take that? Or or someone else goes, oh, come on, they didn't mean anything by it. Mm. I guess you, I'd be probably thinking about next Christmas and what the plans are. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things that I talk about quite often with people who are sort of visiting family, and it can be particularly difficult if we don't live near them, because often then what happens is we might be staying in somebody's house. Mm. So thinking about a boundary might be thinking, mm, next Christmas, I might not stay in my childhood bedroom if I can afford it, I might see if I can get myself a B&B or yeah. we might do a there and back in a day. So we were talking about time boundaries, weren't we, as well? Mm. You know, so doing a there and back in a day, that might be like, well, look, I know that my limit here in terms of being with these people who I love, they're my family, is about three to four hours. So I create a kind of, you know, a boundary. Oh, well, we have to be back for the dog. Back for the dog's always a great excuse. So, you know, we can only stay for three hours. And then that that means that I can turn up, be polite, enjoy people's company. But before the behavior starts descending into maybe those more childhood patterns, then I've got my out already. I've prepared it for myself. And also because, you know, you can be on best behavior and inverse your commas for a while, but you've got your escape and you can kind of hold on to it until then. But also it gives you time to regroup. And because sometimes a situation isn't all about all or nothing. Like you said, it can be about actually it's really nice to meet up but it gets a bit too much at this stage. So maybe that's a bit I can control or maybe meet in a neutral place or whatever. I mean, sometimes, you know, the whole background of my column is family issues. Um, you, there's just not much you can do, really. So that is really hard. What about boundaries for ourselves? I mean, one of the things I had to do working on a newspaper was because I'm really sort of into news, I found myself reading too much. And also with the advent of everyone being able to take pictures, sometimes you would see pictures that you shouldn't see and you can't unsee them. So I had to, about sort of 10 years ago, stop myself from reading or watching too much because I became overwhelmed, especially with the job I do. And so that was a boundary I set to myself. What other examples of boundaries that we can set for ourselves have you come across? I mean, obviously, everything we've talked about is basically a boundary for yourself. But things that are short-circuited within you. Bedtime. <laughs> so what, say you need to go to bed at a certain time? Yeah. 
I did a really nice thing with phones are, are kind of their double edged sword, aren't they? You know, they're great and they give us all these kind of opportunities for kind of new apps and things. But like you said, sometimes too much information. But I think there was a great app that I had a while ago, which reminded me to start getting ready for bed. You know, it didn't say you have to go to sleep now. Yeah. But it said, oh, you know, switch your phone off, start unwinding. So that was quite a good one. I think leaving phones, if you can, outside the bedroom, that can be a really good one. And it's that's a good one to teach kids as well. I'm personally one for not having a telly in the bedroom. It's mm-hmm. just too much for me. I need that that kind of just nothing space in the bedroom. But people are different. You know, some people can't go to sleep unless they've got the TV on. So I guess it's about knowing yourself, isn't it? And sort of working out the right boundaries for you. And then, of course, if you're sharing a bedroom with somebody, that can be really tricky, can't it? And the other thing about time boundaries, I used to have a boyfriend who was always late and he used to really drive me mad. And I remember once I said, to, I'd cook Sunday lunch and I said, please don't be late because everything was timed. And I waited 15 minutes, which I think is reasonable. And then I didn't answer the door <laughs> and he was knocking and I didn't answer the door and I ate his dinner and he was <gasps> never he was never late again because I grew up in a family where there were lots of boundary transgressions and all the women did was moan about it, but they never did anything else about it. And I remember as a child thinking, I'm not going to do that. And so I didn't. And it worked really well. Oh, good for you. And you got two Sunday dinners. I did. Yeah, I didn't eat them both at the same time. And the other tip I have sometimes if people because I think sometimes people say things that are kind of what I call bitchy under the radar. Everyone knows they're being bitchy, but we sort of all accept it. And sometimes if you turn around to the person and say, did you mean that to sound so bitchy or mean or whatever word you want to use? That makes them look at it again and they either have to admit that they meant to be that bitchy or they have to back down. And it's insanely effective. I've told a couple of my friends that are teachers and they've told their children, they're sort of teenagers, it works really, really well. You do have to be a bit brave though to say it, but you make the response their responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Call it out. Armel, this has all been fantastic and really helpful. But if there's one thing that we could say to listeners for them to take home about how to help them set a boundary or reinforce it what would it be so for me it would be becoming friends with your anger so what I mean by that is you can start straight after this podcast by maybe thinking about a time when you felt angry either you know massively angry or just a little bit angry and just notice in your body where that happens for you because it it, anger sort of happens in different parts of the body for different people you know there's not a you know right way to feel anger how do you focus in on where you because when I'm thinking about anger I feel like I feel it all over how can you focus in on where it is well a lovely one is to do something called a body scan so if you imagine you know when you're using a photocopier there's that line isn't there that line of light so if you imagine that line of light above your head and then just sort of feel the anger and allow that sort of line to go all the way through like almost like you're being photocopied Mm-hmm. And kind of just notice where is there, maybe there's a bit of tension, maybe there's a bit of heat or a bit of cold that's different from when I'm just in my normal resting state. You could feel it in more than one place, but getting really familiar with it. You know, when I feel anger, is it hot? Is it cold? Is it like a lump somewhere? Is it like tension somewhere? So that when we're feeling it in the moment, because you're talking about how difficult it is, you know, in the moment. So just giving yourself that little heads up beforehand. All right. When I feel this feeling, it's anger. 
what is it telling us? Say I feel it like in my head. What's that telling me? So then you say to yourself, right, okay, so when I, Annalisa, feel anger, it's in my head. Just getting really familiar with it so that when it comes up in your everyday, you can just name it. Ah, great. Okay, anger. Right. What does this mean? So you can just react and kind of feel bad about it later. Or if you've got a few moments, you might identify it, go, oh, right, anger, what do I want to do with this? Sometimes it might be just buying a little bit of time. If you're on the phone, it might be like, oh, um, I'm really sorry. You know, I just somebody else is on the other line. Can I call you back later? And then that gives you buys you a bit of time to to kind of work out what's going on. Maybe what you need to say to the person. Other times you might be able to work that out, you know, absolutely in the moment. Like I said, it, it's a skill, isn't it? And it's it's just getting that familiarity. So the other thing is writing yourself a crib sheet. What are my little stock phrases that I want to use? And you can even Google this, something like assertiveness phrases and just write yourself a little crib sheet. You know, if you're American, you might be or Italian, you might be writing very different phrases than somebody who is Welsh. So, you know, personalize it, make it your own. So that then you've got these little tools to tools in your toolbox to pull on when you need them rather than sort of inventing it from scratch. Because no, no one can do that. It is extremely effective if someone very calmly says what they will or won't put up with. But I find them effective because I think, well, you've communicated that and I listen. But of course, not everyone does. But if you, Armel, were in a family situation and somebody was constantly crossing boundary, what do you think you might do in that moment apart from say, ow? If it wasn't kind of met in a healthy way, I'd be thinking about addressing it later on. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're in a group situation, maybe addressing it one-to-one with that person. Hopefully that might make a difference. How would you start it? I notice there's just the two of us. I might say something like, oh, you know, I just wanted to run something past you. You know, when you said that thing, it just felt really difficult for me. And seeing where that takes the conversation. Mm. What about if they just said, well, that's not what I meant? Well, that's what that's telling me is that's telling me that there's here's somebody who doesn't want to meet me halfway. Mm. And then I guess you've got a choice about what you do next, whether you have yeah. them in your house again or not. Absolutely. Mm. It's hard, though, isn't it? Why do we find it so hard to set a boundary? Because it's kind of dependent on somebody else, isn't it? I mean, you know, we can make decisions about what time we go to bed and, you know, whether we do screen time or, you know, look at news articles. But we're asking somebody to cooperate and work with us. And when they refuse to do that, that can feel really painful. Yeah. And the closer we are to that person, the more painful it's going to feel. Lots to think about and lots to maybe put into practice. Thank you very much, Armel. Thank you very much to Armel. I hope our discussion helps you look at everyday situations more clearly and work out what you might do to draw your own boundaries. After talking to Armel, when I get angry or upset or irritated, and I'm not really sure what about, I think, what boundary was crossed there? It's been a really useful focus. Armel's website is at apcounselling.wordpress.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. The series is produced by Hester Kant. The music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Low Cole. 
follow us on Instagram at Pocket Annalisa, or you can email us at conversationswithannalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean a lot if you could share it with someone you think might like it and also give us a review on iTunes. Please join us again next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.